All right, Austin, what are we going to do today? Same thing we do every day, Dennis. And that is, I have a universal intuition that this is going to be a podcast full of (laughs) complex designs. Complex designs. So I say that because we've just come off of PTI. Yes. And I'm trying to think, were you there for... Most of the sessions? All the sessions? I was there for PTI, and just in case you're listening to this and you don't know what PTI is, uh-huh, uh-huh. it's the Pensacola Theological Institute. Yeah. Um, an institute that was popular in the 70s and 80s, in which a ton of respo- reform thinkers came, and recently has been reprised mm-hmm. by um, uh, the current pastors and leaders at McElwain Presbyterian which Church. Which is awesome. Which has been awesome. A biannual um, event. Yeah, biannual event. Smashing yeah, yeah. success. Smashing success. Now, with that, yeah. Um, yes, I was there for all of it. Okay. Yeah, were you yeah. there for the, because uh, I'm not sure I saw you, were you there at the Thursday night Q&A? I was there um, for the Thursday night Q&A. And um, the only reason why I think I I wasn't seeing or or didn't really ask a question, even though I was just like chomping at the yeah. bit too, was I had my kids with me. Uh, so it was just yeah, like yeah, I had yeah. three kids yeah. that I was like, shh, quiet. Yeah, down. yeah, yeah, yeah. These men are brilliant. Be quiet, <laughs> children, you Philistines. You know? <laughs> so, so yeah, so we had um, Dr. Douglas Axe. Yes, and Dr. Fleur. And, and and who was the other one? Yeah, you have to say the name. Oh, Dr. Derek Thomas. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we're yeah. talking some heavy hitters, man. Oh, yeah. Which is – and the the theme of the conference was, you know, this insuppressible, right? Yes. That God's glory in creation is insuppressible. Yeah. It's undeniable, as Douglas Axe's book would say. And I, I thought it was a smashing success. Oh, it was – it, it, you know, as far as conferences go, I mean, if you if you're like us and you kind of grew up a little bit um, in the church, we've spent we've given over our lives to the study of theology mm-hmm. and and conferences and going to different things like that. There are some conferences you go to and you're like, man, this is a colossal like waste of my time, or you felt like the speakers were just. I mean, it's not that they weren't good. It's just that you didn't feel like you got anything out of it particularly. Right. Or maybe there was one superstar, right? Yeah, yeah. You, like know. One, you know, one LeBron James yeah. and then four, like, yeah, you know, yeah. you know, like, scrub players and stuff like that. But so, this, yeah. I felt like three LeBrons who complemented each other. Like, yeah. one was a three-pointer, yeah. one could dunk, and one was the assist man. You know, it was an amazing compilation that complemented one another. So, here, 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 you know, I guess a person could wax on about how glorious it was. Yeah. But yep. I'm curious. Let's, because we, you know, I was, I'm a part of this men's book club. And we spent like three hours in intense discussion really? on Douglas Axe's book. I didn't realize that. Yeah. I mean, it was a robust conversation That's where some fantastic. people felt... You know, very strongly in favor of those kind of arguments. And then maybe someone like myself. But I'm a little lukewarm. Okay. Uh, to, towards them a little bit. So the, I'm the, just... The, I, the intelligent design guys or uh, well, the, ID guys? The, so let me, let me say this, okay. just to be clear. Of course, God made everything. Mm-hmm. And of course, God is a genius. And it's wonderfully complex. And I think that shows. Yeah. And I think it's undeniable in the Romans one sense, right? It's yeah. properly basic. You look around and you go, yes, there's a creator. Ah! You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. That being said, 
sometimes the, how the arguments are structured by the ID community. I think there are distinct outs for the atheist given the methodology that's granted from the start. I think auto- okay. I think autonomy is granted yeah. or slash neutral scientific methodology is granted. Therefore, you just open up doors for outs. Yeah. Now, now again, mm-hmm. I you know I'm tracking with you. Yeah. But just in case somebody's mm-hmm. listening to our podcast is not yeah. tracking with you, let me just say if you're thinking about um, yeah. intelligent design, yeah. what what we're saying, I, I think the most simplistic way of, of presenting intelligent design is when you look at the world, mm-hmm. whatever you see has the appearance of design. Yeah. Like there's a mind or a genius behind it, as right. Dr. Axe like, would say. Look at that stinking butterfly. Exactly. Not an accident. Do, that's <laughs> that's not uh, – that's that butterfly did not come about as a result of – of unguided unguided processes. No. It, it 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 indicates an intelligent mind. Genius as yeah. Dr. Atz would say. Yeah. And because that is the case, because we recognize that that's self evident to all, then we can see yeah. that that a designer is behind that. Yes. Now yeah, all right. Now 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 you're saying I'm saying You're I, unconvinced by the argument. Well, Why? I think I, it's I'm 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 unconvinced yeah. by sometimes the structure of the argument. Okay. Like take for example, um, you know he would present in his slide like the what are the chances mm-hmm. that th- these proteins could possibly come together? And remember, he g- he gave the crowd an illustration. He put like a red dot on the ceiling, a little laser red dot, and he had someone else just blindfolded swing around another little laser dot to try to hit it just randomly, and it was really hard. He said, "Well." He kept giving the probabilities for how un- how unlikely that is. And it came to a point where looking at the face of the known universe, right. if you had something the size of a hydrogen atom, what right. would be the odds that you would hit it? Hit it. Yeah, yeah. Now, here's the thing. Let's say I'm an atheist or an agnostic. Now, can I defend him at any oh, point? Oh, sure. Okay, all right. Yeah, yeah, ahead, yeah, ahead, yeah, yeah please yeah, do. Yeah, yeah. I would say... Because I thought it was a brilliant argument. Yeah, I, I just think there's I think there's holes, and okay. there, here are the holes. Okay, I have three. All right, one. I grant to you that it is wildly, crazily, un- improbable. Mm-hmm. Any dice roll on that grand scale will be wildly improbable. So it's possible that the wildly improbable could happen in the first few tries. It's possible. Okay. So, so it, yeah. it just could have happened by sheer dumb luck. And he would say, but it's so extreme that it's essentially impossible. Well, there again, on probability theory, any particular dice roll that comes up would have been extraordinarily unlikely. So that, right. that, that'd be, that's a weak one, right. but that's just a possible one. But I would appeal to these others. I would say, look, as a good neutral man in this discussion. Okay. As a good neutral As man. a good neutral natural man. <laughs> I'm going to say to myself, I'm very small, I'm very finite. Right. There's a lot of things I don't understand. And right. if I know anything about the history of science, I go, boy, people thought they really had things figured out and then Newton came along and then yada yada came yeah. along and you had these scientific revolutions, right? right. Where new insights and new things paradigms which snap into place and give us greater understanding. So, yeah, I will grant, I will say, you know what, Dr. Axe, 
I'm saying I'm this agnostic sitting in the crowd. That seems really convincing. Right. But if science and my finitude has taught me anything, it's like I just need to be cautious. Okay. And I need to say to myself, there may be other laws and other things at play that would make these seemingly impossible probabilities through quantum mechanics or right. whatever suddenly be highly likely. Okay. I don't know what that is, but it's possible. So I'm just going to withhold judgment. Okay. Right? Yeah. And, I, and the third one would be... So, I, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, so, stop. Yeah. Well, well, you kind of blended them together. What was yeah. the first one again? The, the uh, it, it is possible just to roll the dice crazy on okay, the Okay, okay. That's the first, the first one. So it's... You could roll the dice crazy on the first one. Okay. Yeah, it and the can second happen. one is that agnostic view. You just don't know because you I'm, don't know everything. I'm going to be cautious because cautious. there may be some quantum mechanic physical thing that comes out, uh, you know, physics thing that comes out later that makes these things make more sense. Okay, absolutely. So I get that. All right. Yeah. Now, all right. Yeah. Now, what's the third one? And the third one would be well, yes, while there's no proof for a multiverse, I'll grant that yeah. as Mr. Agnostic here. Yeah. Uh, there's no there's no proof for it. At the same token, there's no, there's no reason to think that there isn't such an extraordinarily enormous vat of possibility out there. Yes. In this ocean yeah. of space that we we say we really know, yeah. but we don't. Yeah. So I'm gonna go. Yeah, if you've got. Tr- Trillions upon trillions of planets over all this time right. with factors that we're maybe not even aware of. Yeah. Or maybe a multiverse. A multiverse would solve it because if you have an infinite set, yeah. the most improbable would happen. Yes. Yeah. So for those reasons, I go, I feel like I have a – I feel like I can rest comfortably in my doubt. Okay. All right. All right. Now, all those are very good objections. Okay. Now – Here's why the ID argument, um, as it as it relates to probability mm-hmm. and universal intuition, mm. why I why I wholeheartedly bought that album. So okay. a little known a little known fact about me yeah. is I, I I mean I love probability, yeah. and in fact even when I took math in in high school I was like off the charts crazy about probability. Wow, you liked it. Oh, oh man. <laughs> I Like, I would do probability for fun. Yeah. <laughs> like, I would do probability for fun. And <laughs> he, here is probability 101. Uh-huh. As you know, as you well know, if something is certain, mm-hmm. it's given a one probability. Mm-hmm. Like, the sun will shine. One the sun one. will come up to, tomorrow. Mm-hmm. It is a one. Yep. And if something has zero chance of happening, yeah. right, it's rightly given a zero. Yeah. All probability quotients fall somewhere in between those. Mm-hmm. Now you could have you could have certain probability quotients that maybe land outside of those. Mm-hmm. I'm not. Yeah, you know, I didn't go that advanced in math to deal with those or, mm-hmm. or abstract pulse of, um, probabilities mm-hmm. and the like. But but I know basic probability falls within those two quotients. Mm-hmm. Now the the essential underlying premise of his argument is this: mm-hmm. you have people. So to answer your first question, yeah. like, okay, what about the probability? Could you get lucky? Yeah. Well, yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, people get lucky all the time. Mm-hmm. But Dr. Axe's point is that, listen, the the quotient for the luckiness mm-hmm. is so small mm-hmm. as to as to render it, like, unlikely. High, not oh, even yeah. just highly unlikely. Right. More toward the zero, sure. the zero aspect. Right. So... 
His argument isn't that, oh, well, you could win the lottery 10 times in a row. Mm-hmm. His his argument is that if I – the chances of you winning a Googleplex right. of, of, of lotteries <laughs> in a row – Right, is – it, it would would render it impossible because number one, you can't have that much lottery. Right. Not that much wealth hasn't been accumulated. So mm-hmm. there's all these other factors mm-hmm. that that add into that to show mm-hmm. that there's no way. Like even granting all of all of the factors that you want to grant, there's mm-hmm. no way that this is possible. Mm-hmm. Um, is that is that a fair? Maybe not convincing, but at least a fair, yeah. a fair retort to it, that. It, I think it is. I think it is. It should. It should at least. I would say this. Yeah. For the materialist, it should mm-hmm. have the effect of making them pause. At the very least. At the very least. At the very least. It's, but I would say, if you're fair-minded, it should tilt you to be like. It should cast doubts. On your relying on such high, the highly improbable, it should cast doubts on yeah. it. It should make you scratch your head and go, "I'm not so sure this is right." Right. It should have that effect. It it should, but it rarely does. <laughs> it rarely does, and we're of course we're going to get to the hard issues. Yeah. But if you're talking about a rational basis, yeah. I mean, when you when when anyone sits down to do probability, what they're calculating is. You know, probability is rarely divorced from reality, mm-hmm. and this is something maybe that I that Doctor Axe pointed out, but I wish he had just like, like hammered this point. Mm-hmm. The reason why people do prob- probability is to calculate what how something will happen in reality. Mm-hmm. So when you know you have arbitrary scientists mm-hmm. when they sit down to do a model for a person who's forty two. What's the probability that they're going to die right. or say a heart attack? Right. That probability quotient isn't divorced from things like his health, right. isn't divorced from things like his lifestyle, where right. he lives, if he's, you know, his ethnicity right. and the like. Those are all the influencing factors. Those are all the influencing factors. And the beauty of the ID argument is let's take, let's say that you believe that the earth um, uh, came into being 600 billion years ago. Mm-hmm. Okay, given those prem- given that figure mm-hmm. coupled with all the processes we see on the earth, if mm-hmm. we did the math, we did the probability of that mm-hmm. happening, you won't get 600 billion years. Mm-hmm. You'll get something like 600 billion years to the power of a billion. Sure. And that's why I wouldn't the first one is kind of a throwaway. Okay. But it it does in my mind it does leave as a good ventilian. <laughs> I do not want to sacrifice God on the altar of chance. Of chance, yes, of right? course not. So that so the, so the second and the third one I think are more substantive. It is more substantive. Now I'll be much quicker with the second okay. and third one. So the second one, the the deal with the second one is the second one sort of relies on this argument that because I don't know, mm-hmm. because the factors are so varied, mm-hmm. and I don't know what those factors are definitively, mm-hmm. then. I can't render uh, a decision on that either way. Not a dogmatic one. Not a dogmatic one. But here's what's interesting. Whenever the, the the common problem with the agnostic, the agnostic is only an intellectual agnostic, not a pragmatic agnostic. Mm-hmm. And so the intellectual, yes, I can allow someone to be an intellectual agnostic all they want mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. it's convenient. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to practical outworkings of their life, they're mm-hmm. not agnostic. They're mm-hmm. very much 
you know, they're, they're not agnostic with respect to their their pragmatism, what they mm. do. They tend to be very certain. So f- well, sure, right? You know, I mean, that's that's all we grant that. I th- I think they have the. Um, <laughs> I think they're living in God's world. <laughs> they're living in God's world. So so what I would say to the well-meaning agnostic, and I took you to me to yeah. be a well-meaning agnostic, is this: Let's just say for the for the sake of argument, you believe in natural selection. Yeah. And and chance and random and random happens. I would say, and just to make it more difficult, yeah. I would say, well, I hold to it as a theory. As a theory, okay. Like you in other words, a it's amendable. Yeah, yeah, I'm willing to grant that. Okay. Unless you say, as part of one of those theory, man is not unique. He's just like every other yeah. animal. As sure. part of okay. Sure. Then obviously, you know, to the point of those that are. Um, of if I understand intelligent design well, mm-hmm. what they would say is this: Okay, if you believe that man is just like any other animal, there's no distinguishing quality. Then, then how is it that man is the only species in which you see this sort of heightened awareness of self? Mm-hmm. I mean, you could go down the line. You could say hyper awareness of self. How come? Um, as they said on on uh, Undeniable, the podcast that you pointed me to, how come dolphins aren't in a studio right now having a conversation <laughs> about human beings? <laughs> right, right. You know, and how they walk about worrying about everything if they believe that are, sure. that there's a natural god, right? Yeah. So, in other words, intellectually, mm. they're free to be agnostics, right? Mm. But practically, mm-hmm. they live they live in a world in which. They live and move as if they are the most important people on the planet. Oh, no doubt. Yeah. No doubt. Yeah. I I just, I've heard enough, I've heard so many debates over intelligent design or right. teleological or arguments, arguments yeah. that it always, people always, here's the way I would, mm-hmm. here's, here's the best way to state this. I think you can boil it all down to, to this question. What is acceptable? And, unac- and unacceptable mystery and why. What is acceptable and unacceptable mystery and why? We will always answer that question mm. according to our fundamental norms and our most basic beliefs about reality. Absolutely. And the agnostic or the materialist are going to privilege or they're going to be, and I would say rightfully given their perspective, biased towards their fundamental presuppositions. And so they're not they're going to go I'm going to mm. go away from a god in the gaps and I'm going to stick with my materialism and say that there is some physical law or some unknown that we will uncover that will make more sense of this. So in the time being I'm going to be agnostic. That's just how the game's played. Yeah. Where we conversely look at the data and we are biased towards our presuppositions. We go, no, duh, here are the arguments for why it's designed and why it's irreducibly right. complex and all the rest. And there's no gap here. This is a forceful argument. And they go, ah, I'm sorry. I don't think so. Not with my lenses on. Yeah. <laughs> you know yeah, what yeah. I mean? Now, I, I, I was a little confused at how your second and third argument differ. What, what was the differing yeah, um, one, quality yeah, there? One would be... Just basing on kind of kind of a progression of ignorance Minutes, to insight okay. from yeah. history, mm-hmm. like, and also just my finitude. I right. just don't know. Right. And we have an uncanny way of figuring things out with time, and maybe yeah. we will. 
maybe we won't. Yeah. The third one, though, is just more like if there is, based on these quantum mechanics mm-hmm. that makes them come up with a multiverse yeah. of infinite depth, that would, by definition, solve the probability problem. If, in other words, if we just go... Oh, we'll close the gap, in other words. Yeah, because in yeah. one of these infinite possibilities yeah. would be this highly unlikely right. um, actualization. Yeah. Now, that that argument is a little bit is a little bit more difficult mm. because the o- the only thing I would say to that argument is this. Mm-hmm. There's a sense in which you and I don't don't understand like l- let's say for instance a a baby a child doesn't understand all the dynamics in play behind nutrition mm. and the uh, the chemical compounds of of food and the like but they still need to eat. Yeah. Now, as they get older, right, they, they'll probably reject certain aspects of what their parents fed them mm-hmm. because they're like, I don't want to eat that or I never had a taste for that. Yeah. And yes, their taste becomes discriminant. But at the end of the day, they still recognize that they need food to live. Yes. And so what I would say to, to the skeptic or, you know, or the agnostic on your third argument is this. Mm-hmm. There are certain things that are fundamental to life. Mm-hmm. We might quibble about what, you know, sort of the contours of some of those things, but there are certain things that are just really fundamental to life. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I, the argument does that I appreciate, and it's the same thing that we believe in Christianity, is this. We don't believe that we have all the answers, right. but we believe we have the most important answers. Right. So when you and I stand up and we, we share the gospel or we talk about these issues, we don't we don't we don't say well because I don't understand every factor mm. or because I don't know every factor then I'm not going to I'm not going to stand up and talk to anybody. Right. No what we say is we really believe we have a handle on the kernel of the issue mm-hmm. the the meat of the issue and therefore we can live and we can believe and we can teach based mm-hmm. on our the understanding of that core issues. Mm-hmm. And as time progresses yes of course you get mm-hmm. more information sure. and you modify that but you have to start off with a core. Now, what, yeah. now in your experience dealing with agnostics, would yeah. you say that that they would deny the existence of a core? And if so, by what principle is their agnostic uh, agnosticism built on? Well, it's just all over the. I mean, sometimes you have radically global agnostics where you just go, I don't know if I'm in base reality. Even I could be. In oh, the, really? Yeah. See, right. I've never met somebody like that. I mean, they're 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 rare, but I think people. What, what a lot of agnostics will do is just posture themselves with any of these what ifs just to deal with your arguments. Okay, yeah, yeah, you see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Just to deal with them. They're like, well, what if? Well, and what if? And what if? Yeah. You know, and they'll do all that, those, all those kind of shenanigans. But I, I here's, here's my only concern is as long as the ID movement, mm-hmm. so, some, for some of them, I don't think Douglas Axe is actually one of them, but for some of them, I will leave names unnamed. <laughs> You're such a gracious man. That's why I like for you. For some of them, uh, they want to pull apart. They want to put science over here and faith over here. Right. And I just, I go, hold on. Your argument will be better served. This idea of design intuition, I mm-hmm. think, will be better served if you use theological terminology like sensus divinitatis. I, okay, okay. Yeah. But 
I 100% agree with you. And and so I want you to do me a favor. Mm. I, I remember during on Thursday. Yeah. Yes. You asked the yes. question and it, it was so fascinating because I my question wasn't quite like your question. I think mm. your question was phrased much better. Why don't you take yeah. a moment to just ask the All question right, so that here, you asked? Here's him. the question. So <clears throat> Douglas Axe's book, Undeniable, is basically, if I were to sum it up, he would say, look, these neo-Darwinian mechanisms can't work. I've worked in these protein folds, and I'm an expert in that area, and I'm telling you it can't work. But good news, you don't have to be an expert in that. Okay. There's just everybody has a universal design intuition. We have it as children. We grew up with it. We look around, and we go, yes, design. And so, therefore, we can have common sense science. You don't need to be an expert. You can just know. Yeah. There you go. Okay, so my question to him would be, all right, let's just say we grant UDI, universal design intuition. I, I'm the kind of person that wakes up in the morning and I look out my window and I go, wow, design. Seems so designed. And you go, I grant that. Okay. No. I'm also the kind of person, though, that's aware, <clears throat> you know, I've read a few, let's say, science textbooks, and I go, boy, there's actually more space in this table that I'm tapping than there is physical mass. Well, that's counterintuitive. Or it's, it's really counterintuitive to me that we're on a ball twirling around and rotating it thousands of miles an hour around a big glowing orb of fire. Right. That's counterintuitive. Quantum mechanics, wildly quant- yeah. counterintuitive. So let's say I have this in- design intuition, and I feel pretty good about that. But then I'm also aware that, you know, the intuitions can be called into doubt. And I've had a lot of, in, I have intuitions where it's like, hmm, the world seems flat. Oh, it's a big circle. Hmm, not my, my, not my intuition. Okay. <clears throat> so that makes me go, well, maybe I'm not so sure about my design intuition now. Like, I, I need to kind of nail this down. Well, how do I nail it down? Well, okay, I start looking at the technical data. You know, I've got this other group over here, these neo-Darwinian evolutionists who go, no, 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 Dr. is he's missed this point with the protein folds, and he's not looking at vestigial, you know, organs in the whale, and let me give you all this other evidence. And I go, wow, that looks impressive. I, I can't really sift through it. I don't really know what to do with it. And then Doc, actually, Dr. Axe and Ken Ham and, you know, different people are like, no, 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 here's the reasons why. Here, look at this study. They don't know what they're talking about. Well, I'm right back in the lap of needing to be an expert to sift through the data and adjudicate the evidence. And until I can do that, my initial design intuition is at least has an asterisk next to it. Yeah. A little bit of doubt. Yeah. And I think that's a defeater to his. And the reason why I think... The reason why I think that that question was so good... Is because it brings in two aspects uh, uh, um, of humanity. Mm. What we experience, um, so what is existential mm-hmm. to us, in, you know, in terms of how we view the world, but also that our existential experience must be confirmed by an external reality. Yes. So, so on on the merits, on the face of it. It, it would be a, a pure defeater if the universal de- design intuition was not was was held outside of a faith based commitment. That's right. And, and here's why. Um, I agree. Yeah. So 
when my children, we've taught our children from an early age at the sunrise and knees. Like I was walking with my son one day and I said, son, if you ever get lost in the middle of the woods and it's dark, when night starts happening, just notice where the sun is and that's east, mm. you know, and then build your coordinates yeah, from there, yeah. you yeah. know. Sure. Um, that's that's kind of what I told him. Now, none of us in our right minds, right, it would, would I mean, once you begin to understand science and, mm-hmm. and the fact that the the universe that we live in is heliocentric, we, we would say to ourselves, well, that's wrong. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, the sun doesn't mm-hmm. rise in the east. The, right. the earth rotates around sure, the sun right. that gives the appearance as right. if it's ride, uh, riding in the east. Now, what if, what if you told your son the sun rises in the east mm-hmm. and... Then he goes off to college, and somebody tells him that you know the world is heliocentric mm-hmm. and the sun doesn't ride these. And your son comes home and says, "Dad, you lied to me. You're an mm-hmm. idiot. You don't know that." I mean, you would tell your son, "Son, you're like three or four. Right. You know, I, I was just telling you how the world you experience um, looks, and mm-hmm. you accepted that. That's still yeah. enough for you to live. Right. Right. But you went off and got more information. And was you know, and now you know that." What appears to be the sun rising in the mm-hmm. east is not. It's the earth rotating around the sun. But if you're lost in the middle of the woods and the sun right, comes right. up, it's still helpful. It's still helpful, right? The same thing yeah. is true with the defeater argument that mm-hmm. you gave, right? Mm-hmm. You're, you're recognizing that, listen, my intuition mm-hmm. is only so solid insofar as I'm convinced that mm-hmm. it is true. That's right. Because if somebody comes outside and gives me information, some external reality comes and, mm-hmm. and changes that intuition, then my new mm-hmm. intuition becomes whatever new information that's it given to me. becomes double-minded. And becomes double-minded. Yeah. So I think it was brilliant. Now, the way in which he answered it, mm-hmm. um, I thought was unique. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean unique in the sense that I think he was wrong. But mm-hmm. he just said, listen... I use a principle that that's out there, that's common to all, you know, intuition sure. is common to all. Mm-hmm. But you and I would, would say, well, you have to add an, an external factor mm-hmm. into the equation. Mm-hmm. I mean, because you're right. If if an unbeliever believed in UDI mm-hmm. and you presented that or an atheist presented that same defeater, what can they say to argue against that? What what would you say they could say to argue against that outside Ag- of a religious context? Against what? The... You're de- okay, so UDI uh-huh. held by an unbeliever. Yes. Be- because another thing is the ID argument is held by people that are believers and unbelievers. Um, yeah. You could have someone who holds to the ID argument who is an unbeliever mm-hmm. who believes in the UT- UDI right. principle. In other words, it could have been aliens, right? It could have been aliens. Who, who that knows? seeded us. Now, let's just say... Somebody had somebody who is who's an unbeliever holds the ID, holds to the UDI, yeah. and you come to them yeah. with that same defeater. Yeah. What can they say if they're not a Christian? What can they say to to at least present that as true beyond saying, "Well, this is common knowledge" or appeal to some kind of common com, commonality? I mean, I I don't know what else they could say other than to relieve my doubts with substantial evidence. Right. I I, I don't know what else. I don't know what else they could do. See, yeah. but as a Christian, that's where I, I think as long as you I – think, I think all of these apologetic endeavors are mm. best served when they're fully on the plate of theology. Yeah. Because I want to just go, this works because of properly basic beliefs. Yes. You know, I would go more a little bit more Alvin Plantinga and that – God has just made it so when our cognitive faculties, when we look at our eyeballs at some majestic scene, 
it triggers within us a belief mechanism that just says, I know there's a God. Hmm. That isn't design merely. It's a sight of glory. So it's a little bit more. Now, I think there is an inescapable element of, yeah, this can't be an accident. Right. I just want to say that it's more and that it's not. It's not discursive, this knowledge. It's not like I need to walk you through one of these arguments. I'd say it's just properly basic. Yeah. It just jumps in your heart whether you like it or not. Yeah. yeah. And incidentally, whenever I think about the, you know, the in, you know, the existential way in which we look at scripture or our life and then the external operation of say the Holy Spirit, yeah. That's what prevents Christian arguments from being viciously circular. Mm. Now, one day I was talking to somebody and they would say, well, why do you believe the Bible? Mm. And I said, well, I believe the Bible because the Bible um, says it's true. Mm-hmm. And why? And he said, well, why do you believe the Bible says it's true? Well, mm. because I believe that the, that the Bible is, you know, inspired by inspired God. Inspired by God. And God and is then, true. <laughs> and God is true. And then he said, well, that's viciously, viciously circular. Yeah. And, you know, Aquinas had some really good arguments toward this. He's like, well, in the same way, you need your eyes to look into the eyes of somebody else or, you know, you need your ears to, mm-hmm. to hear what somebody else is saying and sure. the like. You need to use an authoritative source to authenticate a, an authoritative source. Right. Uh, that's a good argument, but it still lends itself to the vicious, viciously circular argument. Mm-hmm. A better argument is that the... The interjection of the Holy Spirit, and that's mm-hmm. why to have a doctrine of the third person of the Trinity is so important, prevents it from being viciously circular. I testify to the truth of the Bible mm-hmm. because God has given me his spirit. If any man have not the spirit of Christ, he's none of his. It's such an important verse mm-hmm. because the working of the Holy Spirit interjects within us this understanding that what we're reading is true. Otherwise, mm-hmm. it would just be mere words. Mm-hmm. And I think that's so important to have, as you say, marry discursive understandings of who God is with Christianity, with the Holy Spirit, to help us understand what is being said. I think that's a good point. I would also say, you know, I do think, I think all ultimate claims are ultimately circular. I don't think you can avoid it. Oh, yes. Yeah, I, yeah. I grant So, that. like, your I friend, I'd be like, yeah. would you please... Prove to me without using the laws of logic, the laws of logic. Yeah. Can't do it. Or I would say to the rationalist, can yeah. you prove to me your fundamental um, dictums of rationality without being rational? Yeah. You can't do it. Absolutely. And in the same way, God could swear by nothing greater than himself, himself. so he swore by himself. Yeah. So, but, so I, that's taking nothing. I think you're right. I think God does to use the John Frame language, try perspectival, right? There's the, <laughs> there's like all, all these different things that the normative and yeah, the existential, yeah, yeah. these yeah. Things, different things that come to bear. Yeah, and the Holy Spirit testifies. So, yeah, I, I guess I, I can feel, I can sometimes seem like a grumpy old man when it comes to intelligent <laughs> design. When all I want to say is, I, I think... You are I, a grumpy old man. I sometimes. think your arguments are very good. I think it's true science. Yeah. I think it's interesting. I think it's persuasive. But just frame them in a robust Christian worldview because neutrality is a myth. And if Christianity is true, then it would be best served by keeping it couched in the truth. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I absolutely agree. 
You know what's interesting to me? I was as I was doing research for the podcast, and yes, I do do some research yeah. for the podcast. I don't just show up and and like just spout off the mouth. One of the things that was interesting to me, you know, I I, I kind of had a working definition for for ID, but I said, oh, let me go on the internet and see some of the different things I could find. And it's interesting to me that on Wikipedia, especially, mm-hmm. and Wikipedia is the only one that has this. It says, ID is a religious argument for the existence of God presented by its proponents as evidence. They have in quotations, evidence-based scientific theory about life's origins, <laughs> though it has been discredited as pseudoscience. Yeah. And I said, well, that's 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 a declarative statement. Yeah. yeah. It it has been discredited as pseudoscience. Yeah. And then I, I started sifting through some mm-hmm. of the literature, and I'm like, well... There are some people who make naked assertions that it's been, you know, um, discredited as pseudoscience. Mm-hmm. And I've read some of the literature that claims that it's mm-hmm. been discredited. But in actuality, it really hasn't. It, it deals no. with aspects of the argument that are not central to the argument. And it doesn't really it doesn't really object. Um, it doesn't really deal with a core argument, mm. which is. Why is it that our world has the nature of design? Right. It, it, none of them do. None of them do. I, I 100%. When I hear people like atheist Peter Atkins just by fiat just say this isn't science. Yeah. That's you just go, come on, man. If you, if you listen to Stephen Myers talk about the scientific method. And then he explains how they're working to the best explanation using, you know, observable data and, and correlations and all these different factors. You go, well, this, if this isn't science, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, what does Peter Atkins want? Does he only envision science as, oh, look, I did it in this test tube? Well, that's – science is infused with philosophical categories oh, yeah. and – yeah. And all kinds of methodology. So it's like, come on, man. ID move it makes that irritates me so much yeah. when people say it's not science. It's like <laughs> then neither is the multiverse, right? Yeah, Let's be frank here. <laughs> yeah, I mean apparently um I tried reading um Hawkins book on on the multiverse and I'm like yeah. man this is like reading oh, tons of philosophy. Yeah, I was like this is like reading a uh, a systematics or a dogmatics yeah. book. Yeah. I mean it's just like this is ridiculous. Um, anything else you want to say on the ID? No, G- I think give, I di- give them a chance, man. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think they're good. Yeah. I think people should read their books. I just also think that for like in with any endeavor, you should always be as critical as possible so that you have the best arguments that sift out. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean. Just keep honing. I mean, you think of things like cosmological argument. I mean, these things have been for centuries been grappled and honed and everything else and i think the id movement is fairly young which is surprising to me and we didn't get into theistic evolution or um well let me just ask you this did you listen to that clip i did listen to that clip that let me just set it up real quick so the guy was asked this he's one of the lead he's well the supposedly leading theistic evolutionist in great britain yeah and he was asked by justin Brierley and unbelievable you know, well, some, there are some unbelievers who say, why would God go through this all this long, painful process of uh, death and decay? Why would he do that? And what was his answer? Based in a nutshell. Listen, let me say this. I, in all honesty, I listened to it twice. <laughs> I did not understand what he was saying. 
I just, I literally yeah. was like, what is he talking about? Is he responding to this? And I, at first, I thought I got the wrong time frame. No, no, you got it. And then I was like, well, let me go back to the email. Mm-hmm. And so I looked at your email again, and then I went back to it. I'm like, what is he saying? He sounds like, um, he sounds like a youth guy trying to explain to like some kid who told him like i was just like this is ridiculous so i i'm sorry i i would probably be a bad representation well i I think i think he because i had to listen to it multiple times too like what are you saying i think what he's saying is i think he's saying look the nature of carbon is such that there's really great pros to it and there's really some real cons to it which means that you know, carbon life, you're just going to have death and decay and all these problems. And I just want to go, do you but how is that an answer? Like, that's what's just so confusing. How is that an answer to theistic evolution? Why the- theistic well, evolution? Well, and my question is, right? is, do you really think God's incapable of co- make, not making carbon not do that? Like, Well, then, he, and then <laughs> he started talking about carbon-based life forms on other planets. Yeah. That's why I was so confused because yeah. I was like, what are you talking about? How yeah. is that? How is that theistic evolution? Like, how is that a, an argument for theistic well, evolution? I would say, I'll post it in the notes. People go listen to this conversation because I would point to this as one of the quintessential examples of why I doubt from the start those who maintain theistic evolution. Because oh. when they get into theological issues like theodicy or oh, anything yeah. like this, they fall apart. Listen, I, I, to my shame, I was once um, a proponent of theistic evolution. Really? Yeah, when I was in high school, mm-hmm. um, 11th and 12th grade, these issues really came to the fore. And I, I, was, I was in a unique spot. I was in this class with a bunch of just incredibly bright uh, individuals. And we actually had conversations about theology and life and different things. And I was kind of bullied into theistic evolution yeah. um, position just because I wasn't strong. Um, You're a pretty uh, young man, you know. Too. I was just—I mean, I mean, I just didn't know. I—I I didn't have a scriptural foundation. Yeah. Um, but long story short, the, pr- probably the best argument given for theistic, theistic evolution came um, from a buddy of mine, actually, <laughs> in the twelfth grade, where he started talking about. He, he started saying, "Like, listen." I remember, you know, reading in a book that God exists outside of time. Mm-hmm. And could it be possible that that what we see is God using what we think is a process of time that that mm-hmm. h- how the animals actually came into being is a description of time processes mm-hmm. um, that God used for these animals to come into being. In other words, when God spoke, maybe... Um, you know, it's kind of like you create like speed film, like speed film. Yeah, exactly. It's almost like if you study Genesis, and he pointed this out. He didn't know he was talking about the framework view of of Genesis. Mm-hmm. He didn't use that term. But again, these kids were like incredible. He said, if you look at Genesis, God created uh, an an expanse of sort, mm-hmm. and then the things came out of that. Mm-hmm. And perhaps you know, he said, as I read evolution, I see like you know, man came out of the water yeah, and maybe sure. like that's just a way right. of describing these processes. And I bought it. I was yeah. like, that's pretty yeah. pretty accurate. Yeah, yeah. And it wasn't until much, much later that I that I sort of came to I went through a creationist view. Mm-hmm. Um now, you know, the ID view I you know, I don't see where it contradicts ne- necessarily sure. creationism, but yeah. 
Anyway. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. What do you think about that argument? And I and the people that I've read since then that are creationists, they have a modified view on that. I mean, they they're more articulate than my friend was. But he You're was talking about the like the the speed film view. Yeah, the speed film view. I, I'm I'm a very agnostic on all these issues. Yeah. I just find, as I listen to all the different camps, I I, f- I feel like. I feel like it's an interminable argument. Mm-hmm. I, we just—I don't feel like we have enough information really to nail this. I mean, I don't know how God did it. Was it just literally appear, or could it have been like a speed film, or you know, I have—I just don't know. So I'm just very agnostic. Yeah, I, I believe he made it. I—I <laughs> I believe he made it too. I, you know, I almost wonder, you know, like how God turned water into wine. Right. And um, I, I once did this in Sunday school where I wrote out the properties of of water, you know, H two O, and then I kind of drew a line and wrote out the properties of wine, like yeah. your basic yeah. Chardonnay or whatever. Yeah. Um, and I can't, I can't like a CCH four dash H, you know, something, 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 something. But it was pretty long, uh-huh. and I was like, okay, from H two O to this incredibly complex long formula, right. How is this possible? Right. Like, I mean, like, <laughs> did it happen? Like, how you would snap your finger? Right. Did it? Did it? Like, slowly? Like, right. did the carbon and the, you know the hydrogen, and the oxygen slowly Who mutate knows? into something else? Where did the carbon come from? Like, did, did, was right. it like taken out of the air? Like, nobody knows. But suppose somebody came to you and say, "Boy, you know how it happened was, you know, the scripture." has a gap in the time sequence mm. because it just said that they filled it in the pot and then he says go and and scoop it out there's nothing in the verb tense um that that would indicate that it was a process of time or it's instantaneous because I mean, it's narrative so right. you know it's not it, concerned about those it's questions. not concerned about that aspect and narrative could be done for theological reasons not yeah. necessarily biological reasons so they could have waited like 10 minutes and during that 10 minutes process yeah. You know, these things happen. Or was it like, just as they covered it, Jesus is like, get a ladle and scoop it out and it was done. I mean, I think for us to know the answer would mean we'd have to have the code to reality. And God has the code to reality. Oh, you, you know what don't I mean? Don't you want to know the logic of heaven? Oh, but I do. I do. I just don't know that. I, I just think, I think we're, I think in our current end of the age era, yeah. Things are just too cloudy. <laughs> okay, one last question on this issue yeah. regarding the wine. Do you think that the wine was actually alcoholic? Oh, absolutely. Some, somebody once asked me that. Like, dude, do you think it just had well, an appearance of age? There's a lot of people who would say he made, he made grape juice. That is just, I don't understand that. I, I, well, I think I think you actually do. Yeah. You just don't, don't buy it. Yeah, I, just, I, think, <laughs> I think it's just absolutely ridiculous. I mean, you know, wine is... Wine. They oh. people got people got drunk on something, and it wasn't Welch's. <laughs> oh my goodness! I don't know. I don't know what it was. All right, let's. We have a. a really, I'm really curious to get your thoughts on this yep. next issue. So let's take a break. Yep, and we will come back. All right, Dennis. So. I don't know hardly anything about Coleman Hughes. Okay. But I heard him on Sam Harris's podcast, Waking Up. His mm-hmm. name is Coleman Hughes, right? His Never name heard? is Coleman Hughes. Yeah, yeah. And he is a a, 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 
somewhat young man, I think probably his early 20s, yeah. somewhere in there, mm-hmm. who just knocked my socks off with his sheer power of intellect. Yeah. You know, now. Gifted. Gifted young man. His writing abilities are off the chart. He tackles issues like identity politics, Mm -hmm. race and inequalities and social justice and stuff like that in different articles. And I've read a couple of them and I listened to the Sam Harris podcast. I'm like, I want to know what Dennis thinks. So I sent this stuff to you. All right. This is the first time I'm hearing what you think. Tell me what you think. Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to sort of be brief because I'd love to hear what you think as well. Um, so, so two things here, which is interesting. He's writing on race and, and politics. And the, the one that captured me the most was the high price of, of stale grievances. I did look at that one. one. Yeah. And in that one, he decries the fact that a, a particular, um, you know, ideology held by what would we term to be the left, mm-hmm. um, excuses, uh, African-Americans or um, either excuses, make excuses, excuses, or um, privileges uh, minorities um, based on the fact that they were, you know, harmed or, you mm. know, enslaved uh, mm. several um, decades, a hundred years or so ago. Sure. Um, and he said that that's, that's particularly pernicious in our time simply mm. because the majority of African Americans that are alive today have not experienced said thing. That mm-hmm. they're using this for political gain. They're using this as an excuse for malbehavior and the mm-hmm. like. Mm-hmm. Now, two things I want to say on it. First yeah. of all, let me give him his credit. Brilliant writer, very articulate. Yeah, extremely articulate. Um, but his article and the response to his article I found to be pretty ironic. And mm-hmm. here's why. Okay. First of all, you have... Um, others who have made the same argument, okay, maybe not as articulate and 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 cleverly worded as him. And uh, let me give him right, his right. due. He's got his props. Oh man, he's it just the way I, I th- he had a portion on this talking about metaphor that I thought, as someone who's you know loves uh, metaphor and studies metaphor, the point that he made on metaphor and how people use metaphor for modern day grievances was just brilliant. Yeah. Um. But other people have made that argument, and and let me just throw it out there. Other people who are white Hmm. have made that argument Hmm. and have been shouted down for it. Yet you have this very, and again, I give him his due, a a very intellectual, a a very capable um, African-American making the same argument, Hmm. but then he's being praised. Sam Harris kind of said that. But I've heard he's... That's has the, the I get the impression that by his fourth article, he's starting to get attacked. It, oh yeah. Okay. So yeah. brutally attacked. Okay. See, I'm not I'm not up on any of this. Yeah. Well, he's being praised by people who oh I see what agree you're with yeah, yeah. the article, okay. okay. agree with his position, but from the very beginning, but especially by the time his fourth article came around. Yeah. He is being mercilessly and viciously attacked okay. by people from the what we call the left yeah, ideology, right. but right-leaning or centrist or intellectual yeah. dargreb like the Sam Harris are. Promoting. And, and why, in your own word, why is he being attacked? What's he saying? Right. So, so okay. Let me read you a portion, and may, and maybe you could just get the audio clip from Sam Harris's okay. um uh thing that that Sam Harris read, but. 
just a portion of of his work that, that I think um, nails it down. Yeah, he says this. Given America's brutal history of white racism, it is understandably that the pendulum of racial double standards has swung in the opposite direction. Indeed, it is a testament to our laudable, if naive, desire to fix history. But the status quo cannot be maintained indefinitely. Cracks in the reparations mindset are beginning to show themselves. Whites are noticing the black leaders will use historical grievances to justify um, special dispensations for blacks who were born decades after the end of Jim Crow. And many whites understandably resent this. Now, with that particular portion, he captures the underlying currents in our society. Yeah, that seems right to me. Yeah, race hustlers like, you know, Sharpton and, and, and you know, Tanahisi Coates and others. Yeah. In, in some people's minds, I, you know, yeah. I don't like calling them race hustlers, well, sure. but whatever. But it seems like a fair observation. It's, that's me. a fair observation. Well, obviously, he's being attacked by the political left right. for casting the movement of identity politics like that. And he's being praised by, you know, um, the political right or Sh- centrist sure. or people who agree with him to say, mm-hmm. yeah, identity politics need to stop. So, but, so he, he seeks to bolster a lot of his arguments mm-hmm. with evidence and polls yes, and all this absolutely. kind of stuff. So the so my question is is why in your view why and help me understand this. Yeah. I mean I think I understand it, but I, I'm not sure I really understand it. Why is the left why why are they so opposed to this? Cuz I I don't think Mr. Hughes would say <laughs> I don't know that he wouldn't still want a lot of the left's goals in some sense. Like, I'm not sure he would be opposed to those. So why, what is the threat to saying some of these things? Now, see, this is why I appreciate you. Um, You hit the nail on the head. This guy is probably, I mean, he says that he's a a Democrat. He voted for Hillary. He voted for, yeah. So he's he's voting for for things that they affirm. Absolutely. The reason why he's dangerous is the same reason why people like Sam Harris is dangerous to them. They don't they don't advance the narrative. Mm, yeah. The the narrative, you know, they don't adva- advance a particular narrative that they want advanced. And someone as articulate as him who are, who is saying, "Listen, mm-hmm. I I'm actually a leftist. Mm-hmm. I actually believe that the goals that you want to obtain, mm-hmm. those will be for my benefit mm-hmm. and I would benefit from them." Yeah. But what he's also saying in addition is, I don't want to benefit, even though the goals are what I want, I don't want to benefit from, this, from, the, from the means mm-hmm. because the means are inherently destructive. There you go. And so why doesn't the left – what are the reasons for the left not recognizing that fact? Is it because those who hold it? are dumb and I'm just I don't mean that really but it's like are they just not seeing that or are they are they just so slavishly attached to this think tank or this you know this this dogma that you just in their minds to give it up would mean giving up their underlying goals I I don't understand that the so what I would say is the means of of obtaining a particular answer they want, the if you're asking me to judge the motives, yeah, what what's the yeah the motivation factors? I think for some people, 
the motivating factors are 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 multifaceted. I do believe you have well-meaning people who see current injustices or in their mind current injustices that are going on and really want that to change. Like there are people sure. out there who really who really believe that the police are targeting and right. executing black men that really want that to stop. They they that's been a, you know that's and I them don't doubt for a second that it still exists mm-hmm. and that it wasn't that long ago where it really existed, right? Yes, I absolutely. Mean, in recent memory. Yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> yeah. not that long ago. Not that long ago. So I, I don't doubt that. But the vast majority of people that I see as, as, as someone who's a, who's a cultural critic, mm-hmm. I, I like to consider myself the average man. And when I look at society and I look at the people talking about race, let me let me give you two examples real sure. quick. So yeah. one example is you have um, affluent um, Hollywood actors mm-hmm. who would say, "Oh, it's awful that the police are killing African Americans. It's awful the violence, and sure. and they should you know they should stop it." Have never once lift a finger to aid anyone in that community. Right. So you're saying hypocrite. They're just a hypocrite. Or mm-hmm. You'll have a situation where they say, well, it's awful what's happening at the border and we should speak out against it. And then they never lift a finger to do anything about it. They mm-hmm. never advocate for the government to, to set up um, communities, tent communities right. in their gated communities or advocate for those young people to be brought into their kids' homes. So is this is this what he's pointing out and guys like Victor David Hansen. I don't mm. know if you've ever read after Victor David Hansen. Is that the guy who uh white liberals black rednecks? No, he uh, um what what book is that? Oh no no, he's the classicist guy. He's right? the classicist yes. guy. Yeah. Thank you. Victor David Hansen. That guy is brilliant, and he talks about issues like this all the time. Hmm. But he's either universally ignored or relegated hmm. to the corner of an angry, a mean, angry white man. You know, like Michael Eric. Yeah, Michael. I didn't know what he was. Yeah, uh, Michael Eric Dyson liked to say. So the the so so ultimately, what what um, Mister you know this this gentleman is doing, Mister Hughes is doing, yeah. Coleman Hughes is doing. Is he is putting his his finger on the means and saying, "Listen, these are inappropriate means. Hmm. It is wrong for you, for you to encourage a grievance based culture to say that your it's not your fault that you're not educated or or that you know right. it's not your fault um, that that you don't have the opportunities you have." And to make excuses for what otherwise would be considered bad behavior in everybody else, that doesn't actually help anyone. Hmm. I want to see the mean. I want to yeah. see the ends. Right. I I think the ends will help everybody, right. but the means are doing more damage and ultimately doesn't get to the ends. But and we, sh- that's we the shouldn't play thing. this game. We we shouldn't play the game because the game doesn't lead to the ends that you think yeah. they they do. Right. See, it's interesting. Suppose I tell you, hey, Austin. Let's 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 you and I go to Miami and then we hop in the car and you start, you know, you start seeing me head head west or start or start seeing me head north. (laughs) You'd be like, hey, man. Yeah. And and the whole time I'm driving up north, you know, we're just driving, you know, and you see Alabama, you see Georgia and you're like, hey, and I'm like, no, no, don't worry about it. We're heading we're heading to Miami, buddy. And you're just like. 
This is a very long way to get to Miami. Are you just lost? Right. You're moving, <laughs> yeah, you're but moving. you ain't going there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's the layman's term of, yeah, of yeah. I think, what he's getting. So why do you think – because I suspect that many of these very intelligent people on the left mm-hmm. – what they have to, I would think do you think they recognize the value in what he's saying but they refuse to accept it for strategic reasons or that they are really just don't see the value in what he's saying I don't think they see the value really and why is that I, I think well I think again I, I think they view him as a as a as someone who could potentially detour others from from their point of view. Do you think it's because society is so polarized mm-hmm. and they don't want to be associated with the right at all and the anything that smells you know to use theological terms if you smell like an arminian even a little bit it's a calvinist. <laughs> yeah. Watch out, right? Watch out. Watch out. Yeah, yeah. Is that how it works? In I the- think it works the same way. It's a it's a religion, it's an ideology. I've I you know, I, I hear certain people talk about race that are unbelievers. And it is a religion. Mm. They talk in very religious terms. Yeah. Uh, woke, the whole concept yeah, of being woke, woke <laughs> is is a religious term. Yeah. That's a religious concept, right? You were you were walking in a, in a veil of ignorance. You were mm. you know you were you were blind to what was going on around you, and all of a sudden you were woke. Mm. You're you're awakened. Do you think? Do you think that this? This issue, whatever you want to call identity politics and all, all mm-hmm. this this stuff that he's describing, that I think is a real problem, and I know you think it's a real problem. Oh yeah, is it going to go away in our lifetime? No. And why? I think a couple of things. I think number one are the the young the the millennial generation is is going to outlive us. Mm-hmm. They're going to outlast us. Mm. And as they have children, they're actively teaching their children yeah, so she's getting passed on. To, to pass on. Also, it's so ensconced in academia mm-hmm. that if you want to do anything in academia, you have to sort of buy in depending on the institution. There's still some institutions that allow academic freedom. But 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 most institutions around there, you you know, in especially public universities and the like, it's so ensconced there that in our lifetime, we'll see it get much much worse unless the Lord allows a mm. massive revival to mm. where you know hit the reset button. So we'll you think the polarization will just continue? Oh yeah, I mean, hmm. you know, I'm not given over to to hyperbole. Neither do I think I'm giving over to. Um, you know, reckless prognations, but mm-hmm. um, I, you know, I will say that it wouldn't be surprise surprising if violence wow. in some in, within the next ten within the next two um, two presidential cycles, it wouldn't be surprising we see violence at a fever pitch. So not just like the these 70s. like these small case riots. Oh no no no! I I mean I mean violence. I wow. mean especially and here's what's interesting. I think the bulk of the violence will be concentrated out west, hmm. in in some of the northeast um, big cities, mm-hmm. and I think you'll see some skirmishes maybe um, not so much in the Midwest but in areas of Chicago and and on down. Um, I think definitely in the major cities where where you know this sort of mindset has has crept in and stayed. Just look at where the last 
um, several major riots have happened mm. in the United States. Mm. That's where I think mm. you'll you'll have this outpouring of violence. I, I mm. Austin, I've never said anything like this, but I am convinced that unless the Lord comes and and really hit the reset button, the things that Hughes is pointing out mm-hmm. are, are are he's absolutely right. In fact, the last statement in this paragraph and and what he says, yeah, I took a says, picture of one yeah, of them. Maybe he says, go and read yours. if we are on a path toward a thriving multi-ethnic democracy or a balkanized hotbed of racial and political tribalism, that last statement of being of having a balkanized hotbed of racial and political tribalism, we're living in that now. Mm. And that's only going to get worse. And if there's not a reset, we will see violence, but the violence will not be nationwide. It will be concentrated in these hot spots of where we've already seen them before. So okay, so w- what you would see, not only what you're describing, but right. you know, there's there's on the campus, college campus, university campuses, you have this strange phenomenon where the youth in their safe zones and just they they will not hear anything that they disagree with. You know, this I don't know how to describe it. This fomentation that Jordan Peterson talks about a lot that's occurring. You see all this is just continuing to build and everybody's getting in their hermetically sealed boxes, these tribes, and it will turn violent. I, I, I believe, I believe if there's not a reset and And what would a reset be then? I I think, uh, you know, because of my Christian, yeah, (laughs) my, I think, okay. So the reset could happen in two ways. So let me not just, uh, first of all, obviously the gospel, the preaching of the gospel, you know, hearts and minds changing, that's certainly an influence. Hmm. Excuse me. I think having a leader that will try and bridge gaps. Oh, like Trump. No, the opposite. <laughs> like, listen. I know, I know. You know how yeah, I feel. Yeah, yeah. You know how I feel. Listen, listen. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm the kind of person. I, I'm the kind of person when tr- if Trump does something good, yeah. I'll say, yeah, hey, he did something. Praise him, right? But. When he does something bad, like tweets ever, yeah, every single one of them, he has not. Uh, let me just say this: our current president has certainly not helped the situation. Oh, I think he's exacer- exacerbated yeah. it. Yeah, I think he's not helped it. I th- I would go so far as to say that our you know our last president maybe you know if Trump if Trump has exacerbated it, our last president. I'd maybe initially attempted, but 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 you know for whatever reason things seem to spiral out of control toward the end. Mm. I mean, it's just like at least our last president um, didn't exacerbate the situation with his um, with his rhetoric. Right. Well, he's just he was a good, a very good statesman. Yeah, he was just he tried to be a very good statesman. Yeah. I, I'll definitely give it to him. But I, man, like you know, and again, I don't, I don't mean to use our platform to, to you know, foment any fears. Right. I'm not right. trying to no, do that. No. There's just a realism here. There's just a re- realism with me, and I just, I see it more and more. I see it to where you know we can't talk about politics at the church. And mm, my, no, my belief right. is, 
hey, if we can't talk about politics at the church, where can we talk about it? If we can't do it in a civil manner in the church, where are we supposed to do it in a civil manner? That That's that's my concern. Is I yeah. feel like within my lifetime, I mean, politics has always been a nasty thing, yeah. right? I mean, clear back. I mean, even with kings getting assassinated and poisoned mm-hmm. and everything, it's just the nature of the beast. But... I do feel like in my lifetime, here more recently, I have there has been this, these pendulum swings to, yeah. to use this language, where each time it, it just whooshes to one side, it's whooshing further, mm-hmm. and then the other side is whooshing further, and you go, yeah, at some point it's going to start banging against the side of the clock, right, and it's just going to bust out of the clock, and you go. It is a concern to me. Now, I don't know. Life, history has a way of just taking weird twists and turns. And maybe there's a reset button that could be in the form of just a strange war that just gets everybody's attention refocused on something else. I mean, who knows? Some weird disease pops up, you know, that just is like more concerning. But I, I do agree with you that I think the current trajectory doesn't look particularly good. And part of that is because... We seem incapable of having civil discourse. Yeah. Which is interesting. That kind of brings up the dark web with Shapiro and Joe Rogan and all these guys. You know, they're trying to have this quote unquote the, the dark web where they try to have civil discourse. And yeah. I applaud that. Yeah. I think that's great. Yeah. I just, I don't know. I just don't know if it's going to just be another tribe. Yeah. <laughs> Well, let me ask you a question, mm. and and you know you could choose to keep this in, mm. or you can choose to take it out. But mm. I I want to get your perspective on it. As a as a as a white male, mm. how how do you feel? Honestly, just mm. give your honest feeling. Mm. How do you feel when you hear some of the the political rhetoric of you having white privilege about? You know, you mm. being um, xenophobic if right. you, if you know, with respect to, by default, mm-hmm. you're xenophobic toward, you know, foreigners. You are, um, you know, you, you are <laughs> heteronormative. Right. Right. You know, what, whatever, <laughs> you know, what, whatever label they right. want to throw at you. Angry uh, white man. <laughs> you're a mean man, white man. You know, like, with all of that, how does that make you... Uh, feel like how right. like what what does that do to you in terms of man you're just trying to be a city on a hill here's the 100 percent honest yeah. truth i don't even care it okay. really it doesn't even go my radar because yeah. because one i know it's not true yeah. for me and two it's like okay people can people can lob all kinds of labels around it's just like I don't know. I mean, humanity's complex. Yeah, there's a lot of really, really stupid, annoying white people. There's a really a lot, a lot of stupid, annoying black people. There's a lot of really stupid, annoying Asian people. You know what I mean? Yeah. And there's a lot of really good ones, and a lot in the middle. And I just kind of go, life is just complex. So, yeah, I don't. I'm not happy that this is a thing, but it genuinely doesn't concern me at all. On a personal level, okay. I don't care because if somebody were to, let's say at work, like you know when I go into the break room at work, I don't know, there's maybe nine of us. I'm the only white guy in the break room, and and if they were to go, if they were to start saying some of those terms at me, well, I just would be like, I, do you, I mean, do you really think that? 
And if somebody said, yeah, I'd be like, oh, I feel sorry for you, man. Yeah. Or if they said no, they'd be like, well, yeah, of course not. <laughs> Come on, man. We're postal workers. <laughs> yeah. Trying to survive August heat. Who cares about all this? What did you call heteronorms? <laughs> I mean, there's no heteronorms in the 114 degree trucks. Yeah. We're just both two sweaty dudes trying to get through the day. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, and I, I hear you. I, you know, th- this issue, and of course, I'm f- I'm constantly forced into this issue because, you know, in my home. Uh, I'm the I'm the resident uh, minority, and my <laughs> wife is the is. And I often joke at her and say, in our home, she's the resident minority right. as well, you yeah. know. And so it's been interesting marrying someone of you know a different sort of eth- ethnic background, because both of us are forced to deal with different realities. Yeah. Like I'm sensitive to the fact that when people say my wife, you know, has white privilege and. You know, she's a Becky and, and all of these right. things. And I'm just like, okay, just like they right. don't know anything about her, but they would they would say that about her. Or, you know, people would say, well, yeah, you, you know, you have a, a you're a part of the grievance culture right. and you believe that, you know, wh- white people are oppressing you and different things like that. Like we're both able to work through those together right. if if we feel slighted. Right. But the reason why right. I brought that out is that there's something that he said in, in his article. Yeah. Where he points that out that, you know, he understands why there are some um, white people out there. And I hate to use that term, but um, right. I mean, whatever. Yeah. yeah. And there's some some people out there that that do get offended because they know that this isn't me. Hmm. Like I have a I have a really close buddy that lives in town. He'll he'll say, man, it's it's of a truth. This isn't him. Right. Like, that's not him. Yeah. But he's getting weary of everybody. Yeah. Saying that to him. See, I guess I just—I've never had anybody say that. To, I've yeah. never—I've never heard it. Maybe I would. Maybe my opinion would be different. Yeah. If if someone were saying that, but I think the circles I run in are, are so either church or blue collar. I, I I don't know. I just deflect it with humor. Like I remember when, like I was there's a over at Myrtle Grove. There's a, there's a gal called Darlene, and uh, she's a she's black and. Uh, I just remember one time, I can't remember when my cart was in her way or something. And I just, I just said something like, well, don't you know, this is the oppression of the white man. <laughs> and she thought I was hilarious. Yeah. You know, so, you know, I moved my cart out of the way and she just laughed. But that's like, okay. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. whatever. I, so it just, it seems genuinely odd to, from my vantage point that your friend would, I don't know that this would be a thing in his life. Like, would he go to college or something? No, no, no. He, I mean, and is again, he, I don't even know where you'd hear this. Well, he, I think he hears it because, like us, like he, you know, he he goes on the news a lot. He's he's heavily okay. on so on you're Facebook and called it, but not like by somebody in his life. No, not in his everyday life, but but on Facebook and different mediums. And just in general, he's he's just really frustrated to have to hear like somebody like him being thought of yeah. by default to be this way. Yeah. And 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 you know, I'm sensitive to that. I'm like, okay, yeah, he might have a point, but I, I want to ask you another question, and and maybe we could end here. What was your overall assessment of of the conversation between him and and Sam Harris? I mean, yeah, I want to hear your thoughts too, but I. Uh, 
I don't feel like I know a lot about this topic. You know, I listen to Jordan Peterson. I listen to, you know, Ben Shapiro and different people. But And I read, um, what's that Jim Crow book you had me? Well, uh, the New oh, Jim yeah, Crow. Oh, yeah, the New Jim Crow. Yeah, we need to have a podcast yeah, on that. we need to, to hear talk your about that. Because yeah. I, feel like, I feel like I'm just, I, mean, I grew up in a little town in Indiana where I think in our whole city, you know, I was the mailman. I knew pretty much the whole city. And it was like, I think there was maybe two or three black families. I mean, there's really, there was a lot of Mexicans, tons of, a lot, a lot of Mexicans, but never made black families. So it just wasn't, it just wasn't on the radar. I mean, at all, you just didn't talk about it. It just wasn't a thing, yeah. you know? So for me, it's like, this all feels genuinely foreign to me. Okay. It just seems odd. So when I'm listening to Harris and, and, and Mr. Hughes talk, I go, he seems very reasonable. His yeah. citations of data seem, I mean, let's say, assuming they're correct, they seem eminently reasonable. Yeah. He seems like a guy that everybody should embrace and go, you make good points. Right. I'm sure there's some, since I don't know the field very well, I'm sure there's some things, some critiques that could be made. That's just the nature of these things. And I'm sure there are genuine concerns. Like, I've expressed this to you that I, I feel in my heart... Um. That there was a time in our history that was so horrible in their treatment of people being shipped over from Africa that, yes, they've been put – those people and their children and their children's children and their children's children have been disadvantaged. Hmm. And they've been screwed over by our country, by the citizens of this country. You know, let's make it personal. Yeah. And that if you hurt somebody, you help somebody. And so, yeah, of course, we should help, right? If, But that doesn't also take out of the equation people who won't be responsible. Yeah. You know, there's people who are just violent and they should be put in jail. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. If you go around shooting people, sorry, yeah. you can't do that. So yeah. I just, I feel both. And I listen to that conversation. I just kind of walk away going, it seems reasonable to me. Yeah. So I, is that how, I mean, what do you say? Well, that's, uh, yeah. And I think. You mentioned the intellectual dark dark web, that mm-hmm. there's a group of people who are come from diverse backgrounds and they believe diverse things, mm-hmm. but they have this fundamental belief that intellectual, for to have true intellectual um, diversity, you must allow um, a, a, all opinions and to mm-hmm. talk through those p- opinions and, and in a rational way, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And what has been fascinating to me is that this is why conversations like this can only happen in a Judeo-Christian society. Mm. Because, and again, this is what scares me about the direction certain churches take. Mm. If you can, my general principle as a pastor is you should be able to come to church and talk about anything. I agree. It, whether it be I'm, atheism, right. whether it in be the right sex, context, in, right? in the right context, yeah. yes, absolutely. But whether it's atheism, sex, sure, it doesn't matter. Anything you should be able to walk into a church context in the right context, like a right. Bible study or a church home group or whatever, one hundred percent, and and talk about whatever's on your heart. Right. Maybe look in the scriptures and see how the scriptures addresses that. You have wise people that are there that can counsel you and shape you, but you should be able to do that. Let us not forget that the law talks about discharges. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Let us not forget that, right? <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Keep that in. Keep that in. But, um, but yeah, you should be able to do that. 
But what's happening in our society today is they're taking that out of the public square. Yeah, you're right. And and it's interesting that the intellectual dark web for all, you know, of the atheists that are a part of that and for all of, you know, people that are homosexuals sure, and, right. and, you know, right. pagans. It's and, a gambit. It's, it's a, a gambit. It's a gambit. For all of that, it's interesting to me that they're acting the most Christian when it comes to this uh, um, matter of intellectual engagement. Yeah. And I just yeah. I, and I and that part of my concern is that the church sometimes can act like these, you know, sort of the intellectual gatekeepers where we are afraid of ideas. Hmm. That concerns me. I, you know, I don't mind somebody coming into a Bible study asking me anything. Hmm. Bring it on. Mm-hmm. Because if they can't talk about it in the church, mm-hmm. they're going to talk about it somewhere else. And I can't be sure that they're going to get a Christian worldview and perspective as a result right. of that. Because the truth is, is there is someone else who will talk to them. Oh yeah, absolutely, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And it may be not, and it may be a worldview that yeah is bonkers. <laughs> that know? is incredibly bonkers. So I appreciated the conversation again. I thought he was incredibly. Um, I, I I thought the way in which he phrased things and the things that he said made you think about it in a fresh way. Uh, as much as I'd like to say, and without being dismissive, he wasn't novel. Hmm. Much of what he said, you know, that's has, fi- has already been said, but that's fine with yeah, me. Yeah, you know, and that's and I, and even though I'm not familiar with like the literature in that area or the arguments even in right. that area, I would have suspected like, oh, I'm sure there's this is a lot of this oh, yeah. hashed out. I mean, that's yeah. just the nature of human discourse. Mm-hmm. Is yeah. like, I mean, I'm sure this has been hashed out for a long time. But he took a lot of concepts and put it together that I thought was, I, I mean, again, I go back to his statement of metaphor mm. and, and how by by metaphorically identifying with other people, you're able to perpetuate grievance culture. Mm. I'd never thought about it like that. There's an interesting turn of yeah, phrase. phrase it, yeah. It, that's really neat. So Well, cool. I'm really glad to have, I hear your thoughts on this and... Yeah. Uh, yeah, we'll have to maybe do the new Jim Crow sit down the road or something. That we, could be interesting. I'm a little should, foggy man. on it. Uh, you know what we should start doing? Hmm. Okay, at the end of the podcast, mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you this first. Mm-hmm. What book have you read recently, or like let's say in the last year, mm-hmm. that you read, and you're like, man, this book kind of really challenged me to think about something in a oh. new way or in a different yeah. way? Just, just one. I know you've probably read a bunch of them, but what's one book that stands out? Uh, um, right now I'm, I'm a little over halfway through a classic called East of Eden Yeah, by John Steinbeck. Yeah. That is a really well-written book and he is a master so far, and I suspect he'll keep going, of just delving into human nature and he paints these portraits of family lines that are just rich and evil. Oh my goodness. And it just brings out again just the nature of this human heart and its darkness and uh he's just a master of that. You know, that's that's the only one that comes to mind maybe primarily because I'm just literally on it. I'd have to go over my list of things yeah. that I've I've looked at, but you know, what say you? 
So yeah, um, I suspect like like me, you, you probably just read through a ton of stuff, mm-hmm. um, and some of it like you'll pick up and then you'll stop oh, to start yeah. something else, right. and it's just like Shotgun. a never. <laughs> yeah, like I, if you're like me, you have a, a your, your bookcase on the side of you has like all these <laughs> stacks of books, and you're just like there are all sorts of placeholders in the book. It's embarrassing, you know. My wife looks at me and it's like. That that could have financed a new car, but <laughs> you know, she says it in jest. But oh, recently, somebody recommend. I I was listening to a podcast and they recommended a book, and it's a it's a little book. It's probably like a hundred and twenty something pages, called Toxic Charity. Never heard of it. Yeah, it's it's a long. If you've read the book When Helping Hurts, yes, I love that book. Yeah, it's it's along the same lines. Okay. But this guy really hammers home the the fact that most charities, most churches, most individuals actually help the poor more. I mean, sorry, hurt Hurt the the poor poor. more than they help the poor through their um, generosity. And he cited like an enablement kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. So it's so it's it's just like when helping hurts. But this one, I think, this guy. He comes from it with 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 a different perspective, and the reason why it hit home is because every time he mentions, like he mentioned the Bahamas, he mentioned mm. Haiti, hmm. he mentions, um, you know, well-meaning people who want to give to mm. others, and I, you know, and and I'm the I'm that guy, I'm that guy that you know, it's hard. I don't keep like if I have money on me, it's soon gone because I tend to. You know, give it to people on the side of the road, or if I see, you know, if I go in a store and I see like a, a lady with her kids, and you know, she's mm. putting stuff back, I'll be like, hey, why don't you like mm-hmm. kind of just like kind of stuff like that? And he says, you know, you're well-meaning, but does that really help the person? Like, right. wouldn't well, wouldn't it be more fruitful to like stop and like yeah. have a conversation with them, which I've started doing. Yeah, and at some point, I need to tell you what my adventures. Oh, it's adventures. We will have <laughs> adventures with Pastor Dennis. Oh, my goodness, my wife, my wife keeps telling me like, you need to stop that. You're gonna die one day, <laughs> and I, I think she might be right. So I'm, I'm, I need to oh, pull man. back on that. But what do you think about that? I mean, just I, I know we're yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I. I think I, if it's anything like when helping hurts, I I I fundamentally agree. Okay. With the premise, however, I don't think I don't think that should detract from like what what you're doing. Like if a person just goes, I don't think there's anything fundamentally wrong with just helping a per- person spare the moment in a tangible way. Now I tend to because I I will not give money to somebody on a street corner. Okay. Because most of the time you're feeding 99.9 of the time you're feeding an addiction. addiction yeah. Now, that wouldn't mean that I wouldn't give them food. Yeah. Or I remember there was one time he needed gasoline. Okay. I'll put gas in your car. You know what I mean? Yeah. Cuz that's I know I'm not feeding an addiction. Yeah. You know, and it's maybe like this guy was like I can't remember we were at Chicago. It's like, well, okay, I'm never going to be able to implement when helping hurts with a guy in Chicago, yeah. right? He just he has a need right here. Okay, sure, we'll do that. So yeah, I I think I think it's I think they're they're right. I think there should be that process to get them out of that hole and to reform their um, thought structures and how they do things and give them dignity to do things and goals and all that. Yes, one hundred percent. But still, I think you can be extremely charitable to people who may squander it. Yeah. Right? 
I, I think that's true. I mean, that's the nature of the gospel. Right, right exactly. It's just, like, right. it's just like, you know, he that spared not his own son, but delivered him right. up for us all. How can he not with him freely give us all things? And he does, and we squander it. Yeah, so. it's just it's just the Christian, I think, yeah, was it Les Mis? Where, who's that, Jean-Paul Jean, whatever his name is, he, yeah. he steals all the spoons or yeah. something. The guy just lets him, he knows he took yeah. him. He's like, take it. You know, wow. you know, and you just go, yeah, okay. That's 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 a very powerful thing to do sometimes with people's to give them something they don't deserve. <laughs> oh my goodness, yeah, that's that's one of the definitions for grace, apparently. Well, what's uh, what's your parting words of wisdom for us? Oh man, um, parting words. Parting words. So recently, and I, I'm such a pastor, I always have to give a story, but uh-huh. I'll, I'll make this super quick. Um, so we brought this. This devotional, and I hate to call it a devotional, but we bought this thing for our family where it, it goes verse by verse through the Bible and uh-huh. just asks questions, and it's just shorthand. And so we we reached the Genesis eight, and it's talking about the flood and Noah and all this. And one of the questions that was asked was, "Hey, what what's Noah known for?" <laughs> okay, and really basic question. And one of my kids, you know, said. Oh, he was known um, for building the ark. Everyone's like building the ark, building yeah, the ark. Yeah, yeah. And and one of my kids said, "No, doesn't the Bible says that he found favor in the eyes of the Lord?" Huh. And I paused for a moment. I thought about it, and I went back and like, back in chapter six, it did say that, huh. right? Genesis six, it did say that. And I said, "Well, why did you say that?" And he said, "Well, and you know, my my daughter said, well, you know, it seemed to me that he built the ark." After he found favor in the eyes of the Lord, so mm. shouldn't he? She shouldn't he be known for that? Like, mm. I mean, he was the only godly one in his family. Hmm. Oh, I thought about it. Wow. I was like, wait a minute, she's right. Like, yeah. if you think of the godly line that goes down, yeah. you know, Noah's Noah's um, Noah's father had all these kids, mm. but only Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Mm. All of us know that Noah built the ark, but before he built the ark, he found favor and eyes of the lord and it just dawned really, on me yeah, that good. yeah we focus on what people do so much and we forget that what they do is based on who they are mm. and you need to really work on being the right person so mm. you could be able to do the right things and it was just a good reminder um from scripture man it was just right there staring me in the face that you really need to work on your heart and your mind yeah. um so so much like we're so programmed you know, to work on our actions. Well, mm. I need to do the right thing mm-hmm. instead of just being the right person. Mm-hmm. So that's my word of wisdom is just work on your relationship with Christ and being the right person and mm. you'll do the right thing. What about you? Yeah, you always you always have a nugget or two. No, man. we'll end on that. <laughs> we will end on that's a that that's a good one to end on right there because yeah. you that was that was very insightful. Oh man. Yeah. Crazy yeah. insightful. Yeah.